0: This is Ryan Martin, the host of Psychology and Stuff. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you like psychology. And if you like psychology, you will love All the Rage, the podcast on anger and violence out of Phoenix Studios. On All the Rage, my co host, Chuck Ryback, and I talk about everything from internet trolls to toxic masculinity to road rage. We bring you mad science, anger management tips, and tons of stories about people losing their cool. You can learn more about All the Rage and other Phoenix Studios podcasts at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast. All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psych program here and host of Psychology and Stuff. And today, we're going to talk about the movie and book, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, we screened this movie last week here on campus. Uh, It was the first time I had seen it in many years. And uh, we got some interesting questions and feedback from students that uh, we're going to go over later. Uh, But before we do, I want to introduce our guests. We have two really great guests today that I'm super excited to have on the show. First... A brand new guest to Psychology and Stuff, a sociologist and chair of the Democracy and Justice Studies program here at UW-Green Bay, Dr. Andrew Austin. How are you,
1: Andrew? I'm well, thank you.
0: Good. I'm so glad you are here, actually, to talk about this. So I've got questions for you that I'm going to throw out as we go. So, And our second guest, uh, Chuck, you've been on the show once before? Yes, I
2: was, for the Stanford Prison Experiment.
0: Yeah, oh. I bring Chuck in for movies. Um, so we talked about the Stanford Prison Experiment. Um, English professor and interim dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences, Dr. Chuck Ryback. How are you,
2: Chuck? I'm doing fine. How are good. you? Oh, you already said well, so I'm I'm doing. I'm well, glad yeah. you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks, bro. I Yeah, appreciate it. yeah. So, I'm excited to talk about this. Well, good.
0: So, actually, my first question uh, here is, um, I want to hear about your experiences with this book and movie. Like, when was the first time you saw it slash read it? You know, when when was the last time you saw it and read it? You know, how
2: uh, how did it sit with you when you first? Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. Um, I used to teach high school. I taught high school for about four or five years. And the last stop that I had was that it was an all boys school. And so it was fitting. That was the first time I read the book and I showed the film. This was in this all male environment. And I don't know, it just seemed to match up with the characters pretty well. Were you um, Nurse Ratchet in the scenario? I was scenario? totally Is that what Nurse to... Ratchet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay, That's what all the students called me behind my back. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> nurse man. Um, yeah, sorry. I just, <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, and so I will say that when you know the the film was really big with my parents and sort of their uh, generation. That's when I was first exposed to it. And when I read the book for the first time, I was really struck by the difference between the two. If you have not read the book, there's an entirely different point of view character. Chief is the point of view character in the book, whereas I think you can say Jack Nicholson's character is the point of view character in the film. And just Definitely. yeah, comparing those two, it's a completely different experience. I wasn't sure how the students would respond. I had those students were seniors at the time, and they really loved it. They loved the film, just the sense of rebelling against authority and pushing back against norms. I'm not sure how they felt about the ending, how that all turned out. Um, but at least up until right. that point, they were on board. Okay.
0: How about you, Andrew? What's your... Background? I
2: saw the movie in the theater
1: with my mother. She would take me to see movies regularly. Family night. And, yes. <laughs> um, and she took me to see movies she thought would, would impact me in the way that I, that I think about things. Um, and I was blown away by it. And I saw it several more times after that. I read the book uh, later, um, and as Chuck said, there's there's this different perspective and, and also a a different sense of the spirit of spirituality in that the, that the the narrator the chief as sort of uh, conveys a kind of you know natural or spiritual reality that it mm-hmm. seems these institutions are trying. Uh, to contain
2: a lot of nature imagery in the book n- yeah, because of that
1: yes very and and so when I um, was in graduate school and I was teaching um, a social problems class, uh, I made it a film based class and so we watched uh, things like uh, Roger and me by Michael Moore to get them to see the problems of social class and global economics. And I used this movie um, to get at this notion of total institution, which was a a term that Gresham Sykes had used in his famous book in 1958 called *The Society of Captives and the notion of institutionalization, which he coined in specific to prisons, prisonization. Hmm. And then that was picked up by Urban Goffman in 61 in his famous book Asylums, where he had actually done participant observation in a mental health you're moving setting. towards Foucault here, aren't you? We'll get we'll get there eventually. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I think actually that's a good. It's good that you brought that up because you know Asylums, uh, 1961, and Kesey's book is published in '62. Foucault's History of Madness originally comes out in the French in 1961, mm-hmm. and then abridged and translated in English in '64. Uh, And then Thomas Zass's The Myth of Mental Illness, 1961. So what you really have is a context out of which this book, I, I think, that amplifies the book's effect. By 1975, uh, the deinstitutionalization movement and anti-psychiatry movement was well underway, so it sort of punctuated a whole process. And so I would, I would actually, when we would sit down to watch this, I would explain that history to students, and I would say that this is a, this is a really seminal moment uh, in popular consciousness regarding uh, how we dealt with people who were in this situation. How did your mom feel about the movie? Um, my mom is, is, is a, as a... A clinical psychologist um, has been very critical of institutional psychiatry, and she's uh, obviously a huge fan of of contractual, you know, psychiatry and psychology. Those that sort of that difference of terms mm-hmm. that Zass, I think really stri- you know went to great lengths to point out. So my mother was always involved in counseling, and, and particularly interested in, in drug and alcohol treatment. And so how can we bring people? Uh, back into uh, into society, mm-hmm. and so she she was she was troubled by and you know I also have to understand I mean Willowbrook um, Clover Bottom in our own home state of Tennessee there were those scandals that came out where the treatment of of people um, and. Um, And Willowbrook, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that was in 1972. Geraldo Rivera was Hmm. actually a, a journalist working for a local ABC affiliate. Uh, and uh, he did an expose on the conditions there, and it was quite shocking. Uh, and so when, then when the movie uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest comes out, it comes out you know, in the context, uh, sort of a bit of a different context in which there was already outrage by the public mm-hmm. about the way people were, were treated and, um, and then the depictions of lobotomy and,
2: and particularly uh, uh, ECT. Well, it's definitely received a certain way. It swept the Academy Awards. You know, the public was on board.
0: Right. But I asked students to provide some questions as they watched this. And one of the questions that students got a, a fair number of students didn't realize what was done to him at the end of the movie. They, they, their question
2: is what happened to him at the end? Why was he right. like that? So um, that term has really moved out of. I mean, growing up, people used to use the term, you've been lobotomized just regularly. I don't hear that much. Psychosurgery is the Mm -hmm. replacement, right? They decided to
1: make it sound more... And I also yeah. think the, that that's uh, one of my criticisms of the movie a little bit is that the technique that was used to depict lobotomy is actually a very early technique. Oh, right. Yeah, the, the procedure itself uh, was actually, once it had been refined, was hard to detect. Mm. But for, I guess, for theatrical reasons, they right. wanted to convey something
2: dramatic that had All happened right. to him. And it is very... Th- Very dramatic,
0: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've got a a complicated history with this movie, so I had not seen it until 95, but that was actually before, it was when I was in college, but before I had ever taken a psychology class. And uh, so we actually went, me and some friends went out and rented it one night, and it was part of a, a... a double header in my dorm room, and the other movie was <laughs> Blue Velvet, right? So, so that's a dark night, mm-hmm. if you're uh, if you're wondering. Well, that's um, a dark movie. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but part of what happened as I was watching it is I realized, so I have three older siblings, and I saw a lot of and also I'd say my parents weren't great about censoring media consumption when I was young, and I realized as I was watching it, I had seen the ending when I was a young kid, like I'd stumbled into a room mm. and I saw mm-hmm. the suicide uh, or the aftermath of the suicide scene. Of a, a um, right? Yeah, yeah, and I was uh, like sort of traumatized as a child seeing that and then re-traumatized in college yes. and then actually re-traumatized last week when I saw it again. Um, yeah, that had, that had a huge impact yeah. sitting
1: in the theater. Um, yeah,
2: I, I thought about that for several days. Parental censorship was not at its highest point then. <laughs> no, that like, is very I nice. saw The Exorcist when yes. I was eight. Yes, probably. no, I
0: spit on your grave <laughs> was the movie my brother showed oh, me I when guess, I was huh. a young kid. Um, so, but what's funny is uh, last week when I watched this again, I actually found myself doing that thing when you're when you're working towards an upsetting ending, where I was like asking the characters in my head to make different decisions. I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. like, no, don't do this. Don't fall asleep. You know, like don't, like, trying to, hoping that they would do something different because I knew the ending was, was going to upset hmm. me again. The other thing, so I read the book uh, actually once I'd already worked here at GB. I read it for the first time. Um, but then I have actually seen a stage production of this, a community theater production in town here, And one of the things... That's
2: so deep. (laughs) It really is. I I honestly
0: don't... I don't really have much of a a memory of why, other than I think my wife said, hey, this is showing at St. Norbert. It's a community theater production. Do you want to go check it out? And I thought, sure, why not? But here was the weird part. Um, The audience seemed to think it was a comedy Mm. throughout much of it. And so part of what was going on And don't get me wrong, there's funny parts in the movie, but it is. I was going to say, a lot of people
2: think of the movie that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has moments that are funny. What was interesting, though, was listening to the audience not realize that he had been lobotomized and essentially laughing through that final sequence and not getting for too long that it was, that this wasn't a joke.
2: I'm going to put that on the actors. Okay. I'm going to put that on the community production. <laughs> you think we're going to blame <laughs> I don't think the Aswanon players pulled that off <laughs> you know, it's the way they should have.
1: It's interesting that you say that because it took them a long time to get the movie made, but it was a successful Broadway play uh, from '63 to '64. Oh, really? And it was Kirk Douglas who played the uh, <laughs> the role, great, the the lead role, and um, he wanted to play the actor in the movie, but by the time the movie got made, he was in his '60s, so mm-hmm. huh. they gave it to Jack, but. Uh, I did not know that. So, I I, I, but I, that. I haven't read any reviews of it, so I don't know right. what the reaction. I mean, it would be interesting to know right. how it was read by the audience, mm-hmm. because when you have, you know, when the actors can try not to respond right. to an audience response, it can change the dynamics of. Right. of
2: he would of have, have been Apple. good in that role. Yeah. He would have. Kurt oh, Douglas. he would have been terrific. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So, so I know what kind of stands out to me and what interests me about this, but I'm curious to know, like, what are what are some themes that that you know, pulls you towards this movie. Why is it, Andrew, that you liked it as much as you did? Chuck, why did, you know, you've taught it a couple times, right? Because you teach it. I have, yeah. So what are some of the themes for you that kind of uh, stand out? What interests you?
2: I like the book. I prefer the book. And so for anybody listening to this, it's because I'm an English professor, and that (laughs) is my answer and preference for everything. Okay. Except, you How know, is the Fast and the Furious. There are a few. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> there are a few exceptions. <laughs> the Shining maybe being one of them. Oh wow! Um, but I, I really do prefer the book because I think it's that. There's just a switch in themes there, and Andrew brought this up earlier. And um, when I read that book, I see a lot of thematically that you know, a lot of the source of the problem for the characters is separation from nature and like immersing yourself in social structures, and not being out in nature. And Andrew had alluded to this, that um, one of the recurring images in that is the damming up of rivers, and how the salmon cannot complete their sort of journey to reproduce, um, and that the people can't fish and live off the land and all that. And so by the time you get to the end of the novel, um, and if you and if you've just watched the film, that sort of like pulling out of the window and escaping is like the breaking of the dam. And then, you know, there's this flowing through. Um, and removing that point of view character though for the film, it puts a whole different message on, thing, yeah. on things and it feels to me more, I can really equate what happens in the film with misogyny. You know, that instead of a disconnection from the natural world being what's holding you back, it's women that are holding you back that it's a nurse ratchet that is holding you back and not only has she neutered all of the men in her control but she's also neutered her boss who is not willing to i don't know to have any oversight over her right and not that i agree with that um but i feel like you could come away with that you could watch that film and say yeah you know what it's women that are holding me back right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so when i watch it's coincidental but you know there's at that time, people, poets like Robert Bly, this whole sort of that comes into this men's movement of like being a man and being out in nature and reconnecting. Like that's part of that, yeah. that too. And so I just think the film has a much more, I don't know, nuanced take on this in terms of what the problems are. Like what, what are the problems that the characters are trying to overcome? And so in the book, the thing that struck me the most is that you could be willingly confined by a social institution, Mm -hmm. that you could commit yourself to the control of something else. Um, And that has a whole different feeling about it when you're talking about moving from natural structures to social structures rather than just being under the control of a female authority figure. That
1: that was the part that struck me is that when he he learns that Mm -hmm. they're there voluntarily, right? And you get this sense of of, there's a fear of liberty, a fear of freedom, that the Mm -hmm. world is so overwhelming that there's a place that I can escape into. Uh, And that's the way total institutions work. If they don't make you that way, perhaps they find some people that way. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right on point with the way that Ratchet is depicted in this as uh, using sexual shaming, um, holding Billy's mother over him that um, that he's that he's not supposed to have these experiences the very natural experiences that humans have
2: and that's a deliberate choice that it's not the father that's that you're disappointing in that Yeah, right? so. yeah
1: yeah and um, and so she's using um, an, an odd sort of behavioral control right I mean you know part of it is um, and a lot of it's the chemical control so you have the chemical controls that are being used right you have the confinement you have the rewards and punishments and so forth but then you have this level of shaming. Uh, that's used that um, that feeds into the, the, the sense of powerlessness, right? I mean, in fact, it, everything that they do in in on that ward feeds into that sense of
2: powerlessness
1: mm-hmm. that, that people have.
2: I mean, I think there's a reason the most liberating scene is the fishing trip. Right, and the film, like, and how
1: happy they they truly are at that moment. Yep, yeah, right. you know, to, novices out there, not sure what's going on, but the sense of newness of, mm-hmm. of exploration is yeah.
0: When I was thinking about that, Chuck, when you were talking about the disconnection from nature, because and I certainly didn't get this, I didn't pick up on this while I was watching it, but as you describe it, that that movie is void of any. Nature, other than mm-hmm. ultimately two scenes—the fishing trip mm. and then the end when mm-hmm. when uh, Chief escapes.
2: Yeah, the fishing trip is a remnant from the book, so you get a peek into what the book is really
0: right. like. And, and so even I mean even the sequences that happen outside when they're playing basketball, they are very much void of any kind of uh, like natural environment. Yeah, that's you know?
2: concrete and chain link fence, right? That, yeah,
0: and so that it, so it feels like you're right. There is a sort of subtle. Subtle carryover from the book there that is you know uh, trying to to acknowledge that but it is it is re- really subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was struck throughout the movie, um, but all of the times when I f- when I all the little moments when I found uh, her controlling them in ways that were so upsetting to me. The the point when he asks what the medication is. I mean imagine a universe where somebody doesn't have to tell you mm. what you're going to consume you know that you just have to and then ultimately threatens to to well she doesn't she isn't specific about how she'll get it into him if it's not uh if he doesn't take it voluntarily but but threatens him i mean that to me is you know a, a totally and completely reasonable question what is mm-hmm. this thing that you want me to put into my body and her response is to just not tell
1: him you yeah. know and and that's that that's a, a basic of you know, mark of authoritarianism. Right. I mean, you're you know you you're pulled over and you ask the police officer questions about what, what is going on here, and the police right. officer says, you know, I'll ask the questions here. Right. You know, so that as the as the person who's being bedded here mm-hmm. in this system of control, you're suddenly less of a person. Mm-hmm. You're not you're, you're you're not regarded before the law. Right. You know, in a very in a very uh, physical way, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a very real way.
0: Well, and it happens again when she, when he's trying to get them to watch the baseball game, and she essentially sets up some arbitrary rules. You know, he poses, he poses a question in a totally reasonable way, and she sets up some, some ultimately some fake rules about, mm-hmm. well, and, and so then once he gets the votes, um, she says, well, it's too late. The voting is closed. You know, we can talk about this tomorrow. You know, again, mm-hmm. like just uh, we're just going to add some fake rules so I can yep. control you again for no reason other than that. I want to and I can, you know.
2: But they, and they do obey. Right. Right. And so, yeah, there's, um, I just read this book called On Tyranny by Timothy Schneider, who's a historian at Yale. Um, and he talks the, the very, it's 20 lessons from the 20th century. And the very first lesson is do not obey in advance. <laughs> and I'm reminded of that, of mm-hmm. that scene where they just sort of obey in advance. And that's what structures. Do you know that they learn from you what their power is?
0: Hmm. Well, especially I mean, this structure is about controlling human Mm -hmm. behavior in a very specific way, and and that is so for me. The the theme and the thing that I. I'm sort of most interested in this work is whether it's the book or the movie or the play I suppose and that is like, the defining of mental illness It's the reason mm. why I wanted to show it and, and why I encourage some of my students to go um and it's also the question that a lot of students had because there are so many qu- conversations in that movie about whether or not there's something wrong with Mac. You know, mm-hmm. and so I guess, I don't know, either wanna, Either we want to pick that up and, and run with it or?
1: I'll
2: defer to you, Andrew.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's, it is a fascinating uh, and very important question. I mean, the way Goffman uh, or Gresham Sykes would approach it would have to be, what are the expectations of the role? Mm-hmm. So uh, Goffman found that um, people very much perform to the role, and the better, the more they understood what the expectations of those around them were, the better they could perform that role. And so, part of it is this sort of natural inclination human beings have to cooperate, and um, and we, we see this we in the Stanford Prison Experiment to go back to that mm-hmm. we saw this with Stanley Milgram and the authority studies. Uh, this is a tendency for people to do this. Um, you know, Sass's critique has to do, you know, with the, you know, you. First of all, he's skeptical about the link between whether we can define these as as, as medical issues, right? right. He sees m- most mental illness as really um, personal troubles. You know, the troubles that people have in their lives that that say there's other structures that aren't able to allow them to solve these problems or they they haven't learned strategies that allow them to get over them and so forth and so you know and some of this some of when you read zass you you, i I pick up some eric Fromm in there i want to go back to that sort of fear of freedom you know that Fromm Mm -hmm. talks about in a a society in which we aren't really empowered in economic structures Mm -hmm. um and, um, and, and given that we're not empowered, and sort of, in, you know, in the humanist psych- psychologists that talk about how we can then begin to move towards higher levels of freedom, when we're sort of stuck in these sort of lower level, lower level desperation, that some people will retreat. Uh, and to classify that as, as mental illness, rather than seeing that as a problem of society. Of course, Zass wouldn't isn't really also isn't concerned about that right, because he's a libertarian thinker. As a sociologist, that's more of what I'm what I would be concerned about. So when I when I think about how you put this together and then of course, you know, Foucault's notion of sort of the overall power dynamic in society, you know, the need to control dissonance the need to control people who aren't Behaving in ways that really advance, say,
2: your productive goals, mm-hmm. but they're um, they willing participation in that control. That—that's right. right, and
1: and I think, and again, I think that preys off the the essential fact that you know we 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 have this empathic circuitry. We're social beings. Um, we we cooperate. We also we also internalize things that people say about us and things that, that say about people who exhibit certain kinds of behaviors, and so. Um, that interaction between, between power and, and mm-hmm. our understanding of the situation uh, leads people, and, they, and particularly people who don't have advocates, mm-hmm. right, who can advocate for alternative strategies, uh, leads them into, I think, being willing participants in, in what we would refer to as these total institutions. Because even though they're there voluntarily mm-hmm. uh, uh, on this ward, not all of them, some of them, um, you know they're they're still being controlled in the same way. It's right. it's still a total social social uh, to, total institution, and they're being re-socialized into these roles, which make it more and more difficult for them to be able to break out.
2: Right, but still, the fear of freedom is a really important phrase. Even, I, I I think
1: it's I think it's crucial to understand. Not only, you know we, I don't know how broad you want to go with this, but I think a lot of the the, the sort of ultra nationalism we're seeing and authoritarianism we're seeing and how it works is because people are afraid. They're, mm-hmm. they're, 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 the uncertainty of modern life leads to a kind of, of self-doubting, and they will often find refuge mm-hmm. in um, a, an authority yeah. figure or institutions that provide a ready-made code of behavior. I, the, I think that plays a big role. In,
2: in, this on, in this book on tyranny, that's, you know, one of the lessons is, is that you have to stand out um, and that it's going to be uncomfortable and You might be afraid to stand out but in the context of this movie standing out is what makes you mentally ill Mm. um and so to the question of Mm. is this how do you define mental illness i'm not even sure that the movie or the book even take on that question i just think it's more about conformity that this it's a it's a narrative about conformity set in a mental institution i think that's right. right i'm not sure that it's really taking on what is mental illness because if I were to define it by the terms of the film it would be not conforming to authority. Right. right? But
0: uh, but I think that's a fair uh, but I think mm-hmm. that this film is not the only place to use that definition. Sure. And, uh, and that's where I think the movie is taking on this question in some way but it, and, and maybe it, maybe what it's taking on is a slightly different question but is how are we using mental illness to control people and because when I think about Mac, I think about his first scene, once he gets on the ward, right, there's the scene where he gets in and they take his his handcuffs off and everything and he goes in and the first thing he does is he disrupts a game of cards, right, And so, which is fundamentally who he is, right, a mm-hmm. disruptor of yeah. things, right, and so he walks in and he, he causes problems, quote unquote, for people in, in the sense that he disrupts the game and he changes the nature of what's going on in the ward and then... And I, th- I feel as like that's a metaphor for what he is outside, too, right? Someone who disrupts things mm-hmm. and someone who, who causes a, you know, throws a, a, a monkey wrench in the works, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I think the thing that's really interesting is that from a, a diagnostic perspective, right, if I'm looking at this the way a cl- clinician might, he would probably be diagnosed with antisocial personality right. disorder, Right. He, he's essentially what, what people often have refer to as a psychopath. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is that I, and I think other clinicians would disagree with me, but I would argue that Nurse Ratchet is too. Mm-hmm. The difference is that her psychopathy is functional, right? It, it works <laughs> in the role. And so to you I'm certain that this is already a phrase, but the phrase mm-hmm. I would use to describe her is functional psychopath, right yeah. um, that it works. And, and the thing which is, is
2: pretty much most psychopaths, right? Well, By I don't know. statistics.
0: I you know I don't know because I think that we tend to define it. In fact, built into the definition of antisocial personality disorder is that is a failure to uh, can you succeed mm-hmm. right? A failure to to work uh, in in the environment and be successful in the environment right? So built right into the criteria is you know fails to keep a job and things like that, um, but so many. Sort of, so many psychopaths are are CEOs. They're mm-hmm. you know that they're, they're not failing. People who meet all of the other criteria mm-hmm. are continuing to be successful despite exploitation, despite a lack of right. remorse, despite harming people. So that's what I
2: thought psychopathy was was like you lack empathy. Yes. And so when I watch the film, like Max seems to me to have empathy. Right. That there that yeah. he wouldn't fit that that he is. He is changed by the end, you know, that he has to fit that literary arc of you start in one place and you have to be changed by the end or else you're just not a fully developed character. And that change, if I could just take the literary angle here, Mm because that's why I make the big bucks, um, (laughs) that he has empathy, Mm -hmm. that that is the change, that he empathizes with the people in there. He wants them. He has the opportunity to leave and doesn't. Right, he mm-hmm. wants them to be free, and stand. that's empathy.
0: No, and I, I, I'll grant that. I mean, I think early on, I better think that's. <laughs> I think that's absent. I mean, mm-hmm. I think early on when he's talking about why he's there and statutory rape, there isn't much empathy in, mm-hmm. that, in, in that conversation. Um, yeah,
1: it's clear, it's clear he doesn't think he did anything wrong. In that right, respect. But
2: that's the start. I mean, he's open to being changed by other sure. people. Whereas if you're A CEO who is a psychopath, you don't care at all about people's working conditions and you're not going to raise their wages. and...
0: And, And where I think this movie to me takes on this question is the idea that a person like Mac is diagnosed with Antisocial personality disorder. A mm-hmm. person like Nurse Ratchet is not, because hers right. works for her. The same way Kenneth Lay wasn't diagnosed. Nobody came out and said, "Hey, look at this guy who's." Yeah. who's a, um, I'm right. That's his name, right? CEO of Enron. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, you know, nobody. I didn't hear anybody say, "This guy's a psychopath." What I heard people say is, well, he's a corrupt businessman." Well, you
2: know, it sounds like et cetera, you're, et It sounds like you're saying a condition of the diagnosis is that you not be in a position of authority. Because right. otherwise, if you're the authority figure, then you don't stand out because you're in charge. Again, it's the, the institutional
1: role. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, if, if, if this set of characteristics is ideal for this role, then it's not right. a patho- pathology.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's almost, I mean, those not those exact words, but essentially those words are built right into the DSM, right? It says that you're... you're it is. You're
1: right. Yeah. And the other thing that strikes me are the changing categories. So Dale, Dale Harding um, is not there's a hint of this in the movie but in the book he's a homosexual which in 1962 mm-hmm. is going to be considered a psychiatric disorder right. according to the DSM and so there there are a lot of of these designations that are reflecting social norms and expectations mm-hmm. on people who are then nonconformist in that way um and again i think the the movie does a bit of hinting -hmm. At that, Um, but of course Harding was was also an intellectual. Remember, he was very sort of fastidious and uh, and a bit and a bit paranoid. The way that they depicted him, so they kind of rolled that up in a character. Mm -hmm. So I think that the the thing about psychiatric categories is that you know they're always evolving uh, Mm -hmm. in that sense, uh, depending on sort of where the, the the larger social norms are i mm-hmm. mean when when it becomes acceptable homosexuality becomes acceptable then mm-hmm. you go through the, it took several stages with the dSM <laughs> yes, to get it cool. out uh even kind of hanging mm-hmm. on to it well if you don't like feeling yep. that way then maybe Ego that's still a problem yeah no. but um but i think it, there's i think some of the difference between that and, and and the movie and maybe i'm giving a lot of credit to sort of the sophistication of their understanding of these things in the movie. Mm-hmm. But you do see some of the characters change mm-hmm. with respect to what would be considered to be a mental illness in nineteen right. early 1960s mm-hmm. versus what you would see you know, in the There are
2: other literary examples that are interesting. Like at the same time, if I go to the poetry world, which is kind of my area, and think about people like Robert Lowell, Sylvia Plath, Anne Sexton, like these people who wrote about being willingly institutionalized because they felt abnormal. You know. So they write poetry about mm. committing themselves to, gosh, what's the name of that hospital? I should know this, St. Anne's, the famous place in Boston, I forget. Um, my sister used to work there, I should know this. Um, but that they willingly commit themselves, and then they write about the experience of medication, of uh, dealing with doctors, of being in a straitjacket, of electroshock therapy, but not as something that was forced upon them, but like as a way, almost like a gateway to being normal that they can't fit through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of a different approach to it. But still, there's a conformity thing, like wanting to fit in and be seen as normal. That's all I had on that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Other other stuff you want to say about the uh, about the movie about the book? I got questions. Yeah, yeah questions. I think it's like all questions. Right. Some of these, um, some of these, we may have answered as we went along. So, I'm, and, uh, so, how do mental institutions compare today to the way they were represented in the film?
2: No idea. Well,
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're significantly different. Right. Um, for one thing, there are far fewer of them. Uh, the deinstitutionalization led to the closing. Um, uh, so, for example, in California, when the sort of initial wave. When Reagan was governor, I believe he closed about half of the institutions, and then claimed that he'd cut mental illness in half was one of his <laughs> political <laughs> claims. That's and a nice uh, lobotomy metaphor yeah, there. Wow, that, yeah. Yes, there. Yeah, is. and you know the problem with that is, is that there were there are a lot of people who are institutionalized that that needed help, mm-hmm. and um, I don't. People often think of Zass as being real hard edged on these things, but people forget that he argued that you don't just get rid of institutional psychiatry. Right, mm-hmm. uh, you, you just can't do it like that. That what we should have done was invested significant amount of money in those people who weren't ready to leave, right. let them stay. It, it's more about improving the conditions of mental institutions, not about just closing them. And so one is a little suspicious about what some of the other motives were for closing them, right? right? Budget reduction and yep. th- that kind of thing. Well, and, and, and so that thing. had that that had a, a that was a very different. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a big effect. And the other big uh, big effect is is the conditions inside. Mental institutions were greatly improved, mm-hmm. uh, and there was much less psychosurgery. Um, there, although some still goes on, um, mm-hmm. it's more for treatment of, of uh, chronic seizing and, and, right. and things that are just ne- necessary in order for the person to have a functional life. Right, but not so much for behavioral controls as we right. saw. It. Well,
0: and that's uh, you know the scene that we haven't talked about yet is the electro uh, convulsive therapy sequence, which um, you know was I mean that. ECT is still in use. Yes, in fact, it's, it's increasing in use right now, but to treat depression, yeah. right, to, te- to treat various types hmm. of mood disorders, not for behavioral control as it was. Like, right. It was a punishment, essentially, in the movie, um, or framed in the movie, whereas, whereas now we're seeing it used in other ways.
2: I mean, if anything, I, anecdotally, I hear, like, going back to this time, I would assume that the complaint or the assessment might be that too many people were institutionalized for things that they didn't need to be institutionalized for. Whereas anecdotally now you hear people talking about how hard it is to commit someone right, based on their behavior. Yep. So there's definitely been a shift there, at least. And,
0: when, and what Andrew said, I mean, there's part of that as a function of that there are fewer of them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are fewer um, the, the hospitals, and, and a lot of that was driven. I mean, I think in some ways that was driven by a reasonable and healthy desire, which was for people to be, you know, its a part of that movement was more community mental health treatment centers, you know, you're going to put in, and if that had been funded adequately, it might have been a good thing, but of course it was not. Mm -hmm.
1: It was also an understanding of liberty, a changing definition of liberty as Sort of concerned about preventative incapacitation. Concerned mm-hmm. concerned about indefinite detention. Right. So, and I get I get a sentence where I can get out if uh, if I'm if I'm committed to, uh, to a mental institution. It depends on whether I get well or not, and mm-hmm. that's dependent on somebody, you know, uh, clearing me to be well. So, th- that the idea of human agency in that right mm-hmm. that that I that there's probably no greater loss of liberty than to lose. Uh, to be declared incompetent and to lose oh, right. one's control over their own destiny, and so there was there was a lot of that awakening actually in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s mm-hmm. against the notions of power, institutional power.
0: Should note that the movie was filmed at a uh, an actual yep. uh, mental health in life. Oregon, in which Oregon, was the yep. state
1: where the 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 book actually yeah. placed. A,
0: so from a surroundings perspective, it was very realistic, right? You know, and from the, a the extras
1: were patients. Oh, really? I that a I lot didn't of people know. don't know that the director of the institution was the actual director.
0: Oh, really? They
1: searched for several months to find an actor who played that role, and uh, Miloš just finally went up to the director and said, "Would you like to play huh. the role?" And he said, "Fine." So, they shot okay. there in the mental institution, surrounded by the actual staff, really, uh, and patients. Interesting.
0: Um, all right. Another question. We've sort of answered this, but I think we should be more direct about it. Can they actually keep someone in the psych ward without their permission?
1: Andrew, you want to take this one? Um, well, if if you're uh, you know if you're a danger mm-hmm. to others and a danger to yourself, um, there there are ways um, of detaining a person, uh, mm-hmm. but the, the, but there are real problems with that. Right. Um, so, for example, the real legitimate basis for holding somebody has to be around a criminal charge, right? right? And uh, you can detain a person for a certain length of time. You have to, at a certain point, levy, you know, level the charges at them and try them. And it's in that context that you can, you know, you can see uh, whether it's not guilty by reason of insanity, which, of course, doesn't mean necessarily right. <laughs> that you're released. Uh, so it's tricky. Um, I haven't actually um, sort of familiarized myself with every state law. Um, i every I'm, state I'm, law. I'm concerned that, this, that there's. I mean, which, I'm not concerned. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty convinced that they're that they are. Well, I don't even know what we do in Wisconsin, uh, but I'm guessing that it's highly variable across right. the states. So, uh, that's a thing you that can, uh, no,
0: that's a thing that I think people need to actually talk about more. Which is that one of the things that I'm often struck by is how how okay we are with the notion of preventative detention in the context and by I'm mm-hmm. sort of putting that in quotes i don't mean the people in this room but we as a society are with the idea of preventative detention mm-hmm. in the case of mental illness that the idea of saying well this person might commit a crime
2: right and that is reason to or in the case of national security not right. just mental illness nope, that so. is true
1: and, and and you know the statistics on false positives right. i mean right. our ability to predict the future of what, and we can do aggregates really well. Right. But if we're right. going with individuals, you might as well flip a coin. Right. I, I mean, uh, we 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 have there's almost no predictive validity yes. in the models mm-hmm. that we use for this. Yeah, it,
0: yeah, this is the stuff of that. What's Chuck knows is Tom Cruise movies. Minority Report is that yeah. the one where they're of course. like yeah. you know, right. arresting people before they commit crimes. This is, and yet we seem totally okay with the idea of preventative detention in this in this case. And as you said, it's. Despite an inability to to uh, mm-hmm. uh, and in and some level, I think that stems from kind of who the the victims are and how much we care about them. Mm-hmm. You know, and by victims, I mean the people who are being detained uh, against their will and how much we care about them. And that we have been perfectly willing. And it, you know, it stems from a fairly famous lawsuit. Um, you know, where we're totally okay um, to protect. Uh, a person who may become the victim of a crime to say, well, we're just gonna detain mm-hmm. all these people and, yeah. and have these, as you pointed out, false positives. So you yeah, could- I think, I think, I
1: think once, once you're ensnared in the system, mm-hmm. okay, you know, we have this principle of legal innocence. Uh, but but we, we don't believe that if the police have, a, have got somebody in custody, mm-hmm. that, they're, that, that that person isn't bad. I, right. mean, I mean, the yep. assumption is that they've got a person. Yep. Uh, and, um, you know, that's getting the bad guys off the street. Mm-hmm. And you say, "What a second, you know, you're actually given legal innocence right. <laughs> until you've convicted a person. You're actually, it's, 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 only, kid, it's only kidnapping if it's not <laughs> just, right? Okay. That's what separates criminal justice from right. the criminal is whether you have a good reason to do that, mm-hmm. but people people aren't concerned, and uh, you see this reaction. I could just say with death penalty cases, uh, they find out through DNA testing that this person didn't commit the crime. It doesn't matter to the family. Right? They they're upset because they had closure now they don't, yeah. and and they they don't want to believe. And I've seen this in so many cases. They don't want to believe that the science actually mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. works in this matter.
2: Or what if there's no crime, right? And so. You're talking about people with Alzheimer's. I mean, you could say that people are detained against their will in nursing homes. Like if somebody with Alzheimer's right. gets up and walks out, it's not as if they're not going to be brought back. Right. Say, oh, you know what? You don't want to be right. here. Great. See you later. No, they're going to be brought back again yeah. and again, and there's no crime. It's a nursing home, but you could argue that it is uh, it, it is detention. I don't know oh, if it's certainly. against someone's will. It mm-hmm. just depends on how you define Will in that case, but there, there's a confinement there, whether it is strict or not. Mm
0: -hmm. Andrew, I was thinking about what you just said, and then it lost me. Sorry, something
1: about. Well, you you know, know. I I, I tend to go with uh, that legal process because a question because it's a very clear one, and Mm -hmm. um, and whereas the the state laws with respect to detaining people with mental conditions Mm -hmm. is a lot fuzzier Mm -hmm. historically, right.
0: Um, we've talked about this plenty. One person said, "So was Mac actually mentally ill?" Which uh, I don't know if we have anything to add to that. But it's, I mean, I think the the point is
2: he doesn't seem it, right?
0: Well, yeah, they I say don't... in the movie he's not, right. right? You know, they in the movie they say he's not, but then I
2: mean, and it helps that you have a lot of characters. The supporting characters are not threatening. They they seem some of them seem sort of warm and fuzzy and just mm-hmm. funny. You right. know, like. It's not as if you have a homicidal maniac running around as one of the characters who is threatening to kill someone every right. five minutes.
0: Right. I mean, my take on Mac would be that sort of letter of the, the law, DSM-wise, he probably would be diagnosed with personality, with antisocial personality disorder. I think in some ways I see this movie as a critique of that diagnosis, mm-hmm. though, that, mm-hmm. that um, or at least as I interpret it now, a critique of that. And I'm not familiar enough with the, the DSM, with that disorder in 1962. But, um, right. But, but my take on it now is that a, sort of a critique of that diagnosis. But I do think he meets the criteria for it. And then I think another question is, you know, how are we defining mental illness more generally? And should disorders like that be considered you
1: know mental illness is yeah I think I just want to say that I think with like DSM these categories that because of their focus on this set of traits mm-hmm. over against all the other traits that somebody may have or, or you mm-hmm. know that they create a master status right mm-hmm. and so that people start responding to that definition right. and that tends to frame the behavior in a way that excludes right. all of the contrary uh, characteristics
0: right. well and I would also argue too that what the DSM Lacks is any real adequate sort of description of environmental factors as mm-hmm. they're associated with, with uh, an illness and or, or any of the the disorders, right? And so, um, you know, this movie, as much of anything, is a is a comment on environments, and and, and so the absence of uh, um, of any of that from the DSM. I mean, that, the idea that a, that a person might be totally functional in a different environment but is struggling in a particular
2: one Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i mean he could be a cruise director in a different environment right (laughs) he leads a cruise right you know he takes people who you wouldn't expect to be successful on a cruise it works out great yeah no i mean come on he could work in door county and be just fine (laughs) (laughs) yes
0: um yeah uh, last question I've got here is duh, uh, Do movies, does Hollywood portray mental illness or mental wards or mental illness accurately?
2: Hannibal Lecter. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to throw yeah. that out there. The other one to sweep the Academy Awards, by yes. the way, after that. Yeah. So you, mental illness tends oh. to sweep the Academy Awards. Yeah.
1: Um, let's see.
0: It's a huge question. It's
1: a, it's a huge a question. I mean, one of the things that... The, the movie I saw recently that really struck me was The, the Changeling with uh, Angelina Jolie. Okay. And it was... and As, I was, as it was unfolding, uh, I, 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 we were all watching it in a group, and I said, oh, no, this is going to really get... This, this, ha, this is about the chicken coop murders, which I, oh. I knew about it from that angle. I didn't know about the other half of it, how that was connected to the fact that, that she, she was, they, they wanted to gaslight her around a child that was missing and they found another child and returned this child and said, "This mm-hmm. is your child." She said, "This isn't um, my child." It's a really powerful movie.
0: I, this is starting to. And it, and it
1: actually played a role. Uh, the, the the true history of this played a role in changing the the, the very laws that we're talking about huh. when you could confine. Because at that time in the 1920s, the, it was the all you needed was a police officer to take you to a mental institution and commit you. And uh, and so they committed her because they were you know because they were saying, "Look, she's she's." It obviously, lost her mind because she doesn't even know this is her own kid. Because they were trying to protect themselves, and um, and and given that it was so historically based, I think the the most recent movie that I've seen it have say did a good job right. with certainly this mm-hmm. this legal and political issue. Mm-hmm. It was very powerful, um, and I would highly recommend the movie to anybody except to brace yourself for the the chicken coop murder part because this is one of the this is one of those serial killers that is not very well known and so you you it really just kind of sneak up on you mm-hmm. um and i think you know i mean Kesey has spent some time working in a mental institution he he did a lot of research on this and and when you read asylums by goffman he did this he did participant observation in a mental institution and and so the, i think there's a lot of accuracy the way that that's dealt with i don't think that in these horror movies like silence of the lambs although uh, Thomas Harris uh, in his Red Dragon uh, and, and the the book right before Silence of the Lamb did a lot of research. I mean, he he took many. Too. It, it's, it's a great movie, mm-hmm. and he he spends a lot of time doing that. But he also uh, lets the he, he gets dramatic, right? So he creates these archetypes, mm-hmm. and that he and that's for entertainment purposes. Uh, there's something to some of that, but I yeah. would always
2: caution people yeah. about about. Right, mm-hmm. Those kinds of Hollywood portrayals. I find Hollywood to be incapable of anything but extremes, right? And so I think for... Which is kind of an insult to the audience, because yeah, I think it makes right. assumptions about what the audience can So do. I think if you were to ask people the name of film connected to mental health, that Fight Club would probably be the first one that hmm. comes up, and that's a really extreme example, hmm. right? And on the other end of that, so if it's not this deep psychosis and violence, and the extreme is always going to be the savant the person mm-hmm. who's mentally ill but then they walk in off the street and cook like a 12 course meal and play mm, right. beethoven right? right and then you just don't get them that there's that it's going to be at one end of the spectrum yep. or the other dangerous or savant
0: and i think that like there's different ways of thinking about inaccuracy in film and and Uh, or when it comes to mental illness. And one of them is, like, for me, some of the just sort of factual, like, the terminology, the language. Like, that stuff drives me a little bit nuts because it feels so easy to fix. It's like, why Mm -hmm. why can't you just – you could grab any one of my students and ask them to serve as a consultant, and they would be just fine. Um, That's one piece, and that's just, like – you know internal stuff that bugs me but i think the the other issue is some of the bigger messaging and this actually bugs me even more but sort of the messages that movies and films send about disorders and that's what i hear you know violence for example what some of these disorders are Mm -hmm. um i do think that there are some hidden gems out there some movies that really do kind of capture things well i think is here the
2: imitation game do you know that
0: I do Benedict
2: I, uh, Cumberbatch as Alan Turing. Yes, and the the machine, the Enigma machine, and all mm-hmm. of that. That, yeah, I mean that's that's close to yeah. one floor over the cuckoo's nest. There's chemical castration right at the end of that film, and yep.
0: and I, I think um, that you know, Beautiful Mind uh, was a really nice portrayal. I haven't of, seen that. Uh, um, it's 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 pretty good. It's pretty interesting the way it was done, and and I think mostly well done. You know, some of the. I, People are going to laugh when I say this. Chuck, in particular, uh-huh. is going to laugh. But I actually think the show right now that does depression oh, really here we well, go. BoJack Horseman. Oh <laughs> <gosh>. Nobody <laughs> saw that coming. Available on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a, it's a story that I think sort of sneaks up on you. And
2: the main character is a horse. It is a anthropomorphic yes. horse. Yes, mm-hmm. uh,
0: it is. Um, but it actually, I didn't think of it as a depression story for a while, and then all of a sudden I did, and I realized this is actually a really, really impressive uh, sort of depression uh, story here that um, and I don't think many people think of it that way but I do mm-hmm. think there are various examples of, of films and TV shows that actually yep. do a nice job of this but they aren't necessarily pitching themselves as mental health
2: stories. Right? Well if any of your students are listening right now i Harold and Maude. Yes. Just go watch it. Yes. (laughs) Just go watch it. I won't say anything else. You won't be sorry. I
0: badly wanted a hearse after I saw (laughs) this. Yes. (laughs) I wanted a fake
2: fake hand to cut off with a cleaver. Oh. Um, I just wanted the hearse. Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Good. So um, I've got one final question uh, for you guys. And it's it's for a very specific student who has had a hard time deciding if she liked this movie. And Mm -hmm. so I want to know do you like this movie? I realize that's a loaded question.
2: but The short answer yes. is yes, because oh. as an English professor, right, mm-hmm. for me, movies are as good as the writing okay. is, and the 70s the writing for 70s films is unreal. (laughs) I can't even express how great the writing is for 70s films. And so, yeah, I like this movie because the writing is dynamite.
0: Wait, are you saying the writing in this movie compared to other 70s films or all 70s films?
2: I'd say a lot of 70s films. The writing is just incredible. Because it's this weird time of where Hollywood wasn't what it is now, where it wasn't just these extremes, that there was a lot of character development, exposition, nuance, like real exploration in the writing. It was a, it was kind of a heyday, okay. I think, for writing and film.
1: All right, good. Yeah, I agree, I agree a lot.
2: Um, yeah, I think it's a
1: terrific film, and um, uh, both you know, for how much I enjoy it. I mean, the, the acting is superb. It is. Uh, the writing is great, as you say. Uh, the directing is excellent. I mean, it, it's just mm-hmm. a superb film. No, it so deserved scary. it deserves it deserved to win the five Academy Awards. I and mean, how right? great is
2: Nurse Ratchet in that yeah. film? This is the role, right? She and, cool. and
1: um, uh, the name of the ac- the actor, blank. I just right? call uh, her no. Nurse Ratchet. Okay, <laughs> Nurse uh, Ratchet. Louise Fletcher, mm-hmm. uh, who, who plays bing, a. Bing, bing. a, a, a well, we're assuming he's uh, right. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who plays an extraordinary role in a, in, a, in a movie also during the late 70s called Brainstorm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were, there were so many good movies in the 70s. I, I, sometimes I actually will say, when, I'm, wanna say, when I want to say One Foot of the Cuckoo's Nest, I'll say A Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. an- another movie about institutions and controls and so forth. Which I, And I actually use that movie uh, as well to try to convey this, mm-hmm. uh, this point, although that movie leaves people... Even more traumatized, actually. And uh, just a reminder a, that
2: Star Wars is a '70s film. I, well, just to throw that out there. Yeah, I
1: mean, is it right. Jaws? Yeah, it, it is '76, well. Rocky,
2: but it's Deer it's, Hunter.
1: It's a it's a tr- it's a terrific film, and I think for for me, illustrating uh, concepts that I'm mm-hmm. teaching in sociology, you know, mm-hmm. total institution, institutionalization, um, and, and these in, these questions about. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, what what is the validity of these psychiatric categories? And what does does it say about the desire that we have to control people who don't conform? Um, That, um, you know, that in one culture, a schizophrenic could be Mm -hmm. the shaman, and and in this culture, it's it's considered to be, you know, pathological, and we have to drug this person. Um, And so we get into all of these issues, and um, there are a few movies that really illustrate... That right. that generate the conversation uh, going going forward that that movie does.
0: When I that was my answer today. When I was talking to the student, m- my answer to the question "Is it good?" is that on on some level, I think a movie that makes me think this much mm. and and also feel this much because mm-hmm. this movie has a tendency to to mess me up a little bit. Like it, it affects me uh, emotionally in ways that other movies do not. And I think movies that do that by definition. Are good mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean I like them yeah. and it doesn't necessarily mean um, I fully understand them and part of why I was super excited to talk to you guys today as I was I was on a quest to sort of understand this movie a little bit better than I do but I think that that by definition they're good if they make me yeah. feel and think the way this the movie. thing that
2: scared it always scared me the most about that at the film level was you know that he walks into this situation this institution feeling like he's in control and he's gaming the system that okay I'm gonna go do this and I'll be out But it's a, you know, it's a warning about how an institution that you think you understand or are in control of can rise up and crush you. I mean, that's, that is real. I mean, that this is, it rises up and it, it crushes him. It Mm -hmm. dehumanizes him. That's a a scary warning that is worth Mm -hmm. paying attention to.
0: Agreed. And on that lovely note mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and call it a day. I want to say thank you to both of you for being here um, so uh, Andrew I've actually wanted to have you on for a long long time and I hope that you'll come back again absolutely this point. was great so, Thank good. you for asking me you bet so do either of you have anything else you want to tell people this episodes coming out actually Thursday so anything going on in the in your areas that you want to tell people about
1: uh, Well we um, go to DJs webpage and uh, check out the upcoming yes democracy and justice studies and things coming up we're involved in a project with the theater department and we're starting up social justice theater uh, which has several components readers theater and and so forth and we have our first event coming up at the end of this month Uh, and so I I, I would ask you to get in touch with uh, Eric Morgan who's heading this uh, spearheading this effort Uh, and and if you want to participate Mm-hmm. Uh, in local theater, we would uh, love for you to to contact mm-hmm. us. So that's the thing that's on the radar screen immediately.
0: That is super rad. I like the sound of that mm-hmm. a lot. So I uh, I'm going to need to know in advance if it's a comedy or uh, a <laughs> drama, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I want to know how to react. <laughs> okay, as I'm watching. No, that sounds really cool, Andrew. Thank you, Chuck. Anything you need to? I'll tell go.
2: I'll go off script. So if a lot of film, we uh, don't have a script. A lot Chuck. of students, <laughs> I know. So I, I'll go off off non-script. <laughs> off non-script is. Students who watch this, you know, I, I imagine for a number of your students, it was the first film they've seen with Jack Nicholson oh. in it, maybe. Maybe. Um, and so maybe you want to see something else with him in it. And there are many I could recommend. But connected to this issue, there's a great movie he's in called Five Easy Pieces, which is, I think in some ways, a commentary on mental health, huh. right? I haven't but it, seen it. Oh, it's great. Five, five Easy Pieces is a great movie. Okay. So check it out.
0: I will, actually, and students should too. So um, Chuck and I have a history of not listening to each other's movie recommendations. to movies, right? <laughs> so, but I will, uh, no, I will check that out. Um, okay, well, thank you both once again. And I want to thank Kate Farley, our producer, and Kimberly Vlees, our podcast artist, and our intern who had to step out already. Uh, Sophie Seeland, thank you all very much. Our next episode is going to Featured Dr. Eric Landrum of Boise State University. I've been wanting to have him on the show for a long time. He is coming to campus for a conference in a couple weeks, and he said uh, he wanted to sit down and do a podcast. So he is a uh, scholarship of teaching and learning uh, expert mm-hmm. uh, related to psychology, um, and he is going to sit down and talk about that and some other things.